This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. I've heard it a million times from bands. It doesn't matter what we do. We just need to get our record out there for people to hear because great music will rise to the top. So I decided to actually address this statement with a publicist who is responsible for getting that music out there and a curator at Bandcamp who puts lesser known bands in a spotlight. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rock Stars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. Since 2002, Merch Table has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting merchtable.com. On today's show, we unpack the myth that great music will rise to the top. What if the top is already taken by known bands? And what do we mean by the top anyway? Find out now on The Future of What. Support for The Future of What comes from SoundExchange. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Jess Skolnick of Bandcamp. Jess, welcome to The Future of What. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. So Bandcamp is one of our big faves at Kill Rock Stars. We love what you guys do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk about sort of this myth of good music rising to the top. And I think... It's important to clarify when we go into this that I'm not saying that good music doesn't stand out from a crowd, because of course it does, and we all know that that happens. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of more talking about the people who write to me and say, I have a day job, I have kids, I'm never going to tour, mm-hmm. but I want you to put out my record because I want it in the marketplace because I believe that great music is going to rise to the top. Right. And to those people, you know, I always have to respond, listen, there's more to this. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that people need to be doing. It's not just a meritocracy. And I feel like that's the part that people get bummed about because okay. they don't want to think of the music business as a business. Yep. They want to think of it as a level playing field. And if you just put out the best album, then next thing you know, you have a million fans. Right. So anyway, that's what we're talking about. How, where would you like to go with that? Oh, my God. That is it's such a huge thing, and it's something that I think about every day, and especially right now because everything is available all the time. We have the tools to access music that we absolutely didn't have the tools to access before the digital era. So there is so much music out there that it's impossible to listen to all of it. Yeah. And that's something that I think about every day and finding things to cover that are unique and special and that we really get behind. There's more music out there than we can possibly cover. There's more music than anybody can possibly cover, which is why it's fascinating to me that so many publications focus on just was at the top. Right. That's a really good point. Right. So I've always felt that covering independent music is incredibly important and a function of the the music business that we don't think about a whole lot. Music journalism's role as gatekeeper, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we can't even cover. There's so much more music that I would love to cover that we just like don't have the space to. It's endless. It's infinite. So thinking like that anybody will just happen upon 
your band and this enormous sea of music that's out there, especially when much of the space at much of the publications is being taken up by known quantities. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think we're breaking it down so that people can understand it. You know, if you say, let's say there's Mm -hmm. 20 bands or something that everybody always writes about, you know, when the National puts out a record, they're going to get a bunch of column inches. Right. For example, so if you if you sort of just like, okay, so wipe out that whole crew, right? Like (laughs) there's a whole ton of of space taken up with that. Right. Then you have to think about like, well, what is left for the other people and how do we help to raise those people up that we think are truly deserving and are writing great music. But I also think it's really important to point out that as far as journalists are concerned, a lot of times they're really interested in the story. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, it's great to have good music, but there also has to be a story. And so this sort of gets back to my fundamental position, which is if you're sitting at home doing nothing, there isn't a story that's going to cause people to write about you. And therefore, you're not going to get that press that you think is going to be the thing that catapults you to fame of some variety. Right. So there has to be something going on. And and I think I think that's the Yes. The problem. I mean, I think every time there's a success story of like a Rodriguez or something, you know, right. Someone who was making great music in total obscurity and then went off and like got a different job for 30 years and then had like this uprising somewhere in the world mm-hmm. where everybody got super excited about his music, like that gives this renewed, this whole generation of people renewed hope that like, look, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. And I'm just going to get surprisingly famous some someday. Right. And I feel like it's sort of beholden upon those of us who work in the music industry to say, listen, there's a reason why people are getting the attention paid to them. And you really just touched on it. One is they're already famous, right? They're already, right. They're already commanding column inches. Right. And then, you know, there's like what you guys are doing with Bandcamp Daily, which is really awesome, which is bringing into the spotlight some artists that maybe people don't know and haven't heard of. And and that I think that that's critical. But then, of course, you know, what would you what's your advice for bands who you do spotlight on Bandcamp? Man, that's a such a tough one. Story is absolutely that's absolutely critical because we're a publishing platform for artists as well as a fan community focus on the human aspect of making music because that's what joins all of us, right? So having a story and I and it doesn't have to be a traditional story in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't have to fall into, you know, particular narrative tropes, but just to have something unique and interesting to say about who you are and where you're going is really important to a lot of the coverage that we do. We have an album of the day feature and we do a lot of scene reports, lists, roundup. One of my favorite ones that we did in the recent past was on Dungeon Synth, which I had no idea existed before the writer who pitched it brought it to me, which is incredible. There are worlds out there on Bandcamp that I spend, you know, my day head deep in this incredible world of independent artists and there are still worlds that I don't know about until other people bring them to my attention because the world is so infinite. So finding a scene, finding a community, that's also super key to getting heard. And for your music to connect with people, I think, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. No, I say that all the time on the show that, you know, if you don't have a community, if you don't have a music scene that you're part of, 
you need to go out and get into a scene. Yeah. I mean, you need to go out and make friends because other bands are always everybody's first fans. Right. You know, that's kind of how it works. You know, you go see each other's shows, you put bills together and everybody plays together. I mean, that's kind of how these things start. Right. And, you know, you can name countless acts whose first fans were musicians, Elliot Smith. Right. You know, the, right. the national press didn't take Elliot Smith very seriously. Right. But every musician in Portland was crazy about him. Right. Totally. Actually, I was thinking about this a whole lot. I was in Asheville, where my parents live now for my dad's 70th birthday recently. And my parents are musicians. I grew up in a musical household. I was very lucky to have that. And even luckier that they're still making music and that they moved to Asheville from DC and have found this super amazing community that is really diverse in pretty much every way. They had a show for my dad's 70th birthday. Awesome. And it was all of the musicians that they're friends with. And there were jazz bands. There were people who do traditional Indian music. There are people who do singer-songwriter-y stuff. There are people who do soul. And they were all part of this like little community that is age diverse, gender diverse, race diverse. Like it really felt very utopic to me. And I was like, <laughs> I really hope that I am part of something like this as I age as well. Because it was so neat to watch. So scenes don't have to necessarily be constrained by style. No. Just finding the support of fellow musicians. Absolutely. Is so nurturing and huge and important and cool and can comprise. I mean, your scene can be anything you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like we're saying, it is it is made up of some people and those people, you know, can become your first fans. Yeah. And then you can sort of spread outwards from there. And I don't want people to get the wrong impression that I'm saying that there's no such thing as great music or that I don't think that merit does win out. But I'm just saying, I think I think it's not it's just not the level playing field and the meritocracy that we want it to be in some sort of utopian ideal, because that's right. You know, somebody has to be telling somebody about how great you are. You know what I mean? Right. And that's how I mean, that's how you get shows like exactly. other bands take you on tour. Right. Other bands are you know, you, you come to a city and somebody goes, hey, who are the local bands that this bigger band should be playing with? And if you are friends with the booker who is also in like 10 bands themselves at this local club, the booker will say, hey, like, I know these guys, they're great. They haven't played out in a while. Yeah. They'd fit really well on this show. And that's how that happens. Right. And unfortunately, that's just not if you're sitting at home in your bedroom, that is not going to happen for you because that's just not how this whole thing works. Right. Although I have been like super interested in talking to some younger musicians who grew up in pretty atomized places. And the second they started making music as you know teenagers or young adults, they had internet communities. And those often came out of, I found in talking to musicians that they are fans first. They find like a fan community of another band on the internet. And then people start sharing their own bands. And they find a community that way. So a community and a scene doesn't necessarily even have to be earthbound. True, true. But relationships are so key. It's just relationships and finding your people wherever they are and nurturing one another in that way. Exactly.
That was Simple Life by Summer Cannibals. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Want an even closer look at issues we talk about on the show? Our monthly newsletter will keep you informed about news, upcoming events, episodes, and more. You'll also have access to exclusive offers and behind-the-scenes looks. Sign up at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat and win a Future of What t-shirt. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Jess Skolnick of Bandcamp. And, you know, something that's also, it's sort of unspoken, but I think it's really important is, you know, those of us who are in this business, we put a lot of work into what we do. And some of us, like me, put a lot of money into it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to some extent, it really, it's like, if I'm going to get behind a band, if I'm going to get excited about a band, it would really be great for me to know that that band was just as committed to their own career as I am. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing worse than championing a band and then having them go on their first tour and be like, oh, this is way too hard. Yeah, I'm going home. I I did a label with my best friend for a brief amount of time. And seriously, every, I mean, we were just a little punk label. But I think we put out three records and every single band broke up like pretty much in the process of making the record. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and, so, and so it was like, well, there goes that money because nobody knows who this band is anyway. And there's, I still have stacks of, of records somewhere. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But it happens. And like, that's part of that, you know, is like really believing in music, knowing that people are committed, knowing that they're going to see it through and knowing that this is a partnership, that this is like an equal relationship and that somebody's putting their back into putting out this record for you. You can't help it if the band breaks up sometimes, but like these were cases of people just sort of being like, eh, (laughs) like, right. Yeah. I don't know about this anymore, which is like a little bit different. Right. And that's why I always say, you know, that I have it on our website that I'm not even going to listen to your band if you're not touring. Right. I've been doing this for too long. Like, I can't take those chances anymore. I completely understand. (laughs) It's too terrifying. And that's not to say that something won't go wrong, even if a band's been touring and everything's going great. I mean, we also have a rule at our label that we never sign bands that have couples in them. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and we did recently. Uh-huh. And exactly. Like, they, they broke up, like, within four months. <laughs> oh, God. But thank God the band did not break up. That was, like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa, we dodged a huge bullet there. Oh, that's, that's so good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that that worked out. <laughs> but we were just like, well, this is what we got for breaking the rule. Yeah. Crazy. But at least the band didn't break up. At least the band, yeah. That's funny. Small, small mercies. Yeah. So have you had any particular, like, I mean, I'm sure that this is just exciting for you because you get to discover so much new music, but like you said, there's still so much out there that you, that you don't know about. Have you discovered some personal favorites by doing this? Yeah, absolutely. I can't even count the number of artists that I have found in the last, I mean, we've, Bandcamp Daily has been around for about a year and a half now. We were, we've been publishing for a little more than a year, but obviously there was some foundational stuff in there. So I started working there in March of 2016 and I had been an active user of the site and like a sort of a digger on it forever, but getting the time to be able to do that as part of my job really expanded the amount of music that I could hear. And I found so much stuff out there through 
my other coworkers recommending things to me or finding them myself that just really I've, I, I don't get a lot personally from like PR recommendations or, you know, stuff that lands in my inbox that way. I do read everything that labels send to me and I do read everything that artists send to me, but I don't necessarily pay as much attention to PR as I do to labels and artists sent to my own finds just personally. I know that varies for people, but I found so much stuff that was just off the radar that I really, really love. Just most recently, this is in my head because I just wrote about it last week, but this noise artist named Guillermo Pizarro, who was in the best-selling noise artists. I was just going through looking for releases from the week to write about, sort of taking stock of what was out there. And this happened to be in the best-selling noise releases. He's a fairly young artist from a really small town in West Virginia, I believe, possibly used to live in Pennsylvania. But the record is just stunning. It's one of the most beautiful and haunting just astounding records that I have heard in a while. There's violin on it. He's gotten an, a, uh, another experimental violinist from that small town scene that he's part of to be part of it. And it is, it's just like, it's an incredibly stunning record. And I feel like it's something that's just going to stick with me through the rest of the year that I didn't even know existed until last week. And like those kinds of finds are so amazing and special to me. Yeah, those are fantastic when you when you find them. And I think another point that I just like to make about this is that when you, we say great music doesn't necessarily rise to the top, you also have to ask yourself, what does the top mean? Right. Because like with an artist like that, it's a noise artist. Well, what's the market for noise music? I mean, there are right. mad aficionados. Let's not get, you know, there's some of them in my office. Like, right. this is not a non-existent group. It's an absolutely existent group. However... It's not a massive group. You know, it's a very specific niche. And so you just have to kind of be realistic. And if that's what you're doing is I'm making noise music, you have to just sort of be like, okay, I'm, and it sounds like this guy has a community since he has someone playing with him from a scene. So, you know, you have your community, you have your group, you're doing what you, the art that you want to make. That's awesome. Yeah. But it would be a little bit, you know, if that guy called you up and said, well, you know, because you featured me in Bandcamp, I now expect to be in Rolling Stone. Right. Or I now expect to have 500,000 likes on Facebook or something. Right. No, perhaps that would be a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably not going to happen. (laughs) Just because this is a, it's a type of music that is not really made for mass consumption. And so a lot of people don't have reference points for it when listening to it. Things that are harsh and impenetrable by design are my things personally, but they're not everybody's things. And I certainly recognize that. So yeah, finding your niche, finding the people that love what you do, that's huge and important. We used to have a feature that unfortunately the columnist who was doing it is a musician himself and got caught up in his own album cycle and wasn't able to continue writing for us, but it was called What's Your Day Job? And I really loved it while it was around, where he just talked to other musicians about what they did during the day. Yeah. Because that's realistic. And these are people that you think of as, some of some of these people are pretty, you know, pretty, what you would consider successful people with records on relapse and, you know, fairly big underground labels. And I think that that's sobering for a lot of people to see, but also heartening that these people who have 
achieved relative success within the world of independent music also still have day jobs and families and other priorities and how they fit being serious about their music into their lives is a conversation that I feel like we need to have more. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to say as much as possible that never be ashamed of being a hobby band. That's not yeah, it's anything totally. to be ashamed of. Like if you have a lifestyle where you get to practice with your band, you know, a couple of days a week and you play out once a month locally, yep. it's fantastic, you know, and, yep. and that can be so fulfilling and make you really happy. Yep. But, you know, don't think you're waiting for that big break that's going to, you know, make you sell out Radio City Music Hall. Like it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. I mean, that's every band I've ever been in. It's just like local punk band does a couple of, you know, regional national tours or whatever but you know it's never going to get bigger than driving a minivan across the rockies you know (laughs) (laughs) and that's fine that's totally fine you just have to think about what success means to you and success can mean just like being able to make music that you love with people that you love and sustain that Exactly. And I, that was so beautiful that I'm going to cut it there because that was perfect. <laughs> Jess, Jess Skolnick is the managing editor at Bandcamp. Jess, thank you so much for being with us today on The Future of What? Thank you so much for having me. That was Vampire by Wimps. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Brownoller wanted a face towel with his face on it. Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Sierra Hager of Public Display PR. Sierra, welcome back to The Future of What. Thanks for having me. Yay. Yay. 
So I am having you here today because I keep getting similar things in my email. And this one thing keeps coming back over and over again. And I thought I should address it on the air. I thought we should actually discuss it because it really seems to be one of those, what do you say, cultural stereotypes or myths or things that everybody just believes to be true. And that is that great music will naturally rise to the top. Now, I've had multiple emails recently and conversations with bands who basically are telling me, you need to put my record out. And if I explain to them, you know, it's like, well, we're not going to put your record out, but you could put your record out yourself. You know, they're like, well, really, all that needs to happen is, you know, someone needs to get behind us because we make the best music in the whole world. And when I explain to them that there's a lot of factors that go into people getting involved and the most important part being that they're not going to tour and they're not going to do any of the other stuff that they're supposed to do but they're just going to put their music on the internet like that's and they want me to do that for them they want me to pay to do that for them you know pay for the recording and everything which apparently is like completely by the way like that's not an important part of this equation bt dubs just looking for a recording budget yeah exactly nothing no big no big deal just like you know just like 10 or fifteen thousand. right so we just put it we put it out there and then great music will just rise to the top, right? So it'll be on the internet and people will listen to it. I don't know how. Uh And then they'll be like, oh my God, this is the greatest band that ever was. And I'm kind of being inarticulate about this because it just is such a bizarro concept to me, but it's probably because I'm sure I thought the exact same thing when I was in a band 20 years ago. I thought that's how this worked. But also 20 years ago, there was no internet. So it was a different, it was a very different world. We didn't think we could just like put a record Well, I mean, maybe we did. Maybe we thought if we made a record and we put it in a store, enough people would pass it by and see it sitting there and go, oh, that looks really interesting. I'm going to purchase this for $18. That's like a masterclass in marketing. (laughs) Put it in a store. Just put it in a store. (laughs) And that will cause sales to follow. So, I mean, despite the fact that there's a lot of bits of this that people just don't understand, I thought we should delve into this a little bit more, like maybe help people understand why you and I as professionals in the industry would not say great music just rises to the top. Yeah. Okay. So I think the the first like, and, and maybe part of it that you're not even like expecting to talk about on this episode, but one thing that I'm like super aware of is like, there's a really big disconnect between how people perceive their music and how the outside world perceives your music. Mm. Everyone thinks that their band is the best band in the world because making music feels good. Mm. Like it, like we are able to express ourselves. We're able to be a version of ourselves that we wish we were able to be more off. I mean, there are so many therapeutic and amazing things about making music that it's really hard to see accurately whether or not it's going to be something that can communicate outside of you, you know, like if it's going to be something that people can hear and see themselves in and bring their emotions to and have fun with or identify with culturally, will people feel nostalgically? Like, will will they recognize a tone from records they love from the past? Like, what are people coming to your music to do? I, I think that's a really when people talk about why music is really good or people talk about great bands. They're talking about experiences that they've had with the music. It's not that Tom York just expressed some feelings that he had so well that we were all like, hey, that guy is being himself the best. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I and I actually have multiple times thought about pitching this idea to you of like effective songwriting. And like, I don't think for a minute that people should be making music 
for other people. But if your idea is to make a business where you're creating a product that is useful to other people, you know, I mean, like, no one's going around being like, I'm going to make this basket that it perfectly expresses me and like expecting for other people to use some basket if it isn't clearly a basket. Well, or Sorry, if you that's say, a really bad, that's a no, I'm example. trying to, I'm trying to work with your example here. So it's like, if you make a basket, that's got a huge hole in the bottom and then you get really mad because people won't use it to carry stuff in. Yeah. But you're like, this is my but vision like, but for this the basket. This is my vision for the basket. Yeah. Like you don't understand. This is my artistic vision, but it's not working for other people. Well, so like th- there's this thing that I see that I think really sums this whole thing up, which is that there are a lot of people making music about believing in themselves as a musician and like that's the main struggle in their lives and that's what the music is about and like a lot of people are making really self-serving music and and I understand that there's like going to be a component of that if you're writing confessional stuff but like if you're writing sad music it's important to leave an opening for people to access it you know to understand what it's about to tell a story that people can hear you know? Definitely. Let's talk about this from the other way around because maybe yeah, yeah, that yeah. would help sure. people understand this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. let's think about pop music, yeah. right? Top 40 music. And I'll go back to my childhood just because that way we're not picking on anyone who's a current artist. Okay. There's a million examples, right? There were some bad songs that were top 40 hits in the 80s when I was growing up, right? Just not that great in terms of not that great songwriting. How about for the sake of everyone... What about Madonna? Because Madonna is a great artist who had some pretty bad songs. Right. Some of her songs were not completely perfect. That's that's a good way to put it. Or Madonna or, I mean, anyone. There's some, I remember, like, I'm a huge Def Leppard fan. Yeah. There were some cuts off of their later albums that really were not up to the early days. But when you think about a top 40 hit, you think about a band that is probably on a major label and they have millions of dollars behind them, especially when they're getting older in their career when they're, let's say, fourth album or whatever. So they've got a lot of money and they've got a huge promotion and marketing team, right? And so that is how you can get a song on the radio with a huge, massive radio budget that isn't necessarily the best song, Mm -hmm. right? And when you start thinking about Top 40 Radio, it is, in fact, all about money. I mean, that's why the indie labels have no access to Top 40 Radio with the exception of the big indies like Big Machine, Taylor Swift's label, obviously. But, you know, the regular indies, we we tend to be shut out of that as a market. But that doesn't mean that independent music wouldn't do well on the radio, as you can see by the fact that we are disproportionately represented on Pandora and Internet radio and alternative and college radio. Like, clearly, it's got nothing to do. In other words, a lot of music industry has nothing to do with the quality of the music. Mm -hmm. It has to do with money. It has to do with promotions. It has to do with all sorts of other stuff. So if we flip that back around, it's like, okay. The biggest thing I think people need to understand is you have to put yourself in the way of people hearing your music, right? Sure. So it's great if you write a song that you love, and it's great if you write an album that you love. But the first thing you need to do is you need to put it out there in a way so that you can find out if other people like if it resonates with other people. Now, granted, I feel like every band, like something I've learned is that like every band can get 20 fans. Right. So that's like all the parents of every band member, Uh plus the girlfriends or boyfriends and like two or three other people. 
totally. were just like, I love it. I'll, you know, I'll come to every show. The people and the drummers, other bands. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Everybody can get like 20 fans. Totally. The question is, can you get more than 20 fans? And we're talking real fans, people who really, you know, are touched by your music and are really interested in your music. Civilians. Civilians. Yeah. <laughs> Strangers. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so we need to see that. And the thing is, you need to do the work to get yourself out there to find those fans. So it's like, that's the first thing that needs to happen. You can't just say I wrote an album because it's like the rest of us are not your mom. You know, you don't get a pat on the back. This is not like white privilege theater where it's just like, oh, good job, Jimmy. You wrote an album. White and privilege have... theater would be a great name for this podcast. <laughs> Maybe my next podcast will be I will, white privilege theater. I will, I'll write the thesis. Let's do it. Yeah. But you know not, what I mean? Not for this podcast. I feel like that could be totally misconstrued. Yes. Totally. But white privilege theater, I think, is a lot of, a lot of bands. Well, it is, right? Yeah. yeah. Disproportionately white, mostly middle class kids, you know, and they want a trophy for trying. Yeah. But the thing is that you have to do more than try. You have to try in the right way. Totally. I think that that's the, the important part. So one thing that I think people think, especially like kind of around press is like everyone's like, we just need the right bio. We need the right story and stuff. And one thing that I sort of think about is that like, yeah, your bio is your story. But, like, just as much as your bio being the story, the music has to be the story. Who are you working with? That's the story. Where are you from? What are you about? What are your politics? Those are all story components that need to be building something strong that people can latch on to. It all has to be right, you know? Well, and also, in addition to everything being right, you also have to kind of know your audience. Like, you have to have, and I think this goes back to what you said initially, that bands have a hard time figuring out. Like, they know what they feel about their band, but they can't really see it from the outside. Yeah. You know, the bands that I know that do the best have a really clear picture of where they fit mm -hmm. in the sort of pantheons of bands. And most bands will say, oh, I don't sound like anybody. Ah, that's my favorite. Right. Like, like, why not? Well, we're, exactly. We're not all sitting around being like, you know, I really, I'd love to listen to an album that feels like nothing I've ever felt before. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like, we want to put on a record because it's raining and we want to do the dishes and, like, get sad about some shit. Or, or, like, we want to put a record on because your friends are coming over and it's Friday night and it's, like, pizza dice time and, like, you're going to feel silly and have fun and put on some jam. You know what I mean? Like, music, we use music for stuff. Right, right, absolutely. You know, if you tell me your music sounds like nothing, you think, you know, I think what's happening is you think that you're saying you're special. Mm-hmm. But you need to know where you fit. And yeah. that doesn't mean that you have to say, oh, there was this band and I sound exactly like we are trying really hard to like reproduce note for note. We want to sound just like granddaddy. So we're going to do that note for note. It's like nobody wants that. And nobody's that's not what no, anyone's looking for. What, what they're looking for is a way to place you quickly. Points of reference. Just points of reference. Yeah. I mean, I remember we went through this with Tao for her first record, Tao yeah. the Get Down, Stay Down, because somebody said she sounded like Cat Power. And she was like, I don't think I sound like Cat Power. Like, I don't really agree with that. What they mean is like powerful indie rock woman or something. Exactly. That's yeah. probably something like what they meant. Yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, you're right. You don't. However, it's the thing that's going to give the writers something to hang on to until such time as you're so well established that eventually people will say, this artist sounds, sounds like, like Tao. Yeah, totally. And of course, now that does happen. Yeah, totally. Right. Totally. So it's like, you just have to kind of go with it. It's like, I know that doesn't feel good to musicians. They want to be special, special. Yeah. But you have to know your audience. And and the reason I say that is because a lot of times it helps you understand like what your options are and also your limitations. Like, yeah. 
listen, if you're an indie rock band and you are five dudes, I mean, I don't know anything about this, so <laughs> I should shut up. Like five dudes are not my wheelhouse, but whatever. It's like you're, if you're an Let indie rock band five with five dudes, you probably have a lot. You can probably sell more records than a band of like three women playing more alternative kind of underground like punkier the kind of stuff that kill rock stars puts out you yeah. know let's just say yeah you get to go out and be mumford and sons exactly yeah right and even if you're slater kinney there's a ceiling to that totally you get to compete in like underground or intellectual realms right and that's it right i mean slater kinney got the best press of any any band that Kill Rockstars ever put out. Yeah. And still, they had a very clear ceiling. Every album sold about the same amount. My grandma knows who Slater Kenny is. I think that's really cool. And I wonder if she knew about them 20 years ago, if she knows about them now. I think it's just from the NPR circuit. Right, exactly. Yeah. As soon as they became an NPR darling band, then, yeah. then everybody was like, oh, my grandma knows that band.
That was The Airport Lobby by New Dog. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Sierra Hager of Public Display PR. Getting back to sort of this issue of, like, good music rising to the top, like, I can think of a couple of bands in Portland who actually were so good that they did have... I mean, the the two examples in my mind, one of the bands broke up and one of them is doing really well. The first band is Little Star, who's doing really amazing. And I remember when Little Star first started releasing music, it was the kind of thing where everyone in town that I knew who worked in music was like, have you heard Little Star? Like, have you heard them? Because they're so good. And they're not so good because it's the, like, because you've never heard it before. It's so good because you've heard it before and you don't know where and you don't know how they're getting all these sounds that I love that are, like, mixed together in this guttural, vulnerable way. Like, the singer Daniel is, like, he's, I mean, he's a freak. He's so vulnerable on stage and so weird and so, like, but just, like, deeply, like, human and, like, I don't know, humane, you know, like, I feel like I'm saying like a lot. I'm very excited about Little Star. I love that band, you know. And that's the sort of thing where people are drawn to them. And, you know, I predict that they will have an excellent career. Another band that's like that is Blowout that made this arguably kind of bad sounding, like super emo record that everyone who is my age heard and was like, oh, this sounds like everything that I got that like that like heart poundy all ages show feeling to when I was in middle school. You know what I mean? That thing that just like makes you fall in love with music and just want to only do that forever. That's the kind of me. And and that record got, I think, like a Pitchfork review and like it was in like stereo. I mean, it was everywhere. The band broke up, unfortunately. Bad decision, I think. But I think maybe good music kind of does rise to the top if it is good in a certain way. Like if it's and the top is very that's a murky thing to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Blowout had like 600 likes on Facebook and got a pitchfork review. That's not going to happen for everyone. You need to figure out that one thing that makes it like irresistible, that makes it just move forward. I know that that's like sort of against the thesis of what you're saying, but also they weren't going to anyone and saying, you just need to get this out there and make this like, I'm the magical one. Let this happen. Like, if you are that magical band that is going to happen with or without a label, you don't need to ask for it. And for everyone else, if that's not already happening for your band, work harder, be better, write better songs, have a better story, and show that you can move records if you want people to work with you, you know? I don't want to be taken that I'm saying that there is not such a thing as great music, because there obviously is. Yeah. It's just that there's a lot of work that has to go into it. And exactly what you're saying is it's like, no one is going to do this for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the bands that I can think of that got momentum... They got momentum and I found out about them because they were doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like everyone was telling you about Little Star in town. Yeah. It's because they were out there doing it. It's not because they were home calling people going, hey. Not going to play shows, not going to tour. Not going to play a show, not, not going to record tour, But myself. can you tell everybody what a great record I've got? Yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen that way. And I think people have to understand that it's no shame to be a hobby band. It's no shame at all. And I think that that like when people are visualizing their like trajectory to success, I think that there should be much more focus on this level where you get back more than you're putting in. Because if you have a project like that, like if it's really something that people connect with, it'll give back a little bit to let you know to keep putting stuff in. And if it's not doing that and you've been at it for a couple of years, something needs to change. Right. And that's what I was alluding to in the beginning of this conversation when I said, you know, you have to have more than 20 people like your band. Yeah. You have to actually know that you're connecting with people somehow. Totally. You you know, it's really just not enough to write some songs because yeah. 
everyone in the music business has written some songs, you know? Yeah. I have written songs. <laughs> many, many songs, you know? So it's like, yeah. it's it's not enough to just do that. And I mean, you know, I feel like it's more interesting to talk about those bands where like you're in a scene and you start to hear about a band and then you hear their music and you're like, oh my God, this yeah. is so amazing. How have I not heard this yet? None of that means that that band is going to go anywhere or do anything because exactly like you said, sometimes they break up. Sometimes they turn out to be bands who never tour and just sort of are big fish in a little pond for Dude, a while. Blowout, Blowout got in Pitchfork. Everyone listening to this will probably never be on Pitchfork. Like I'll never be on Pitchfork. Pretty much you're not going to be on Pitchfork. Like I can tell you that confidently as a publicist. It's really hard to get on Pitchfork. It's really, really, really hard. You'll probably never be in Rolling Stone. Even if you, you can have a really killer career and maybe just never be on Pitchfork, maybe never be in Rolling Stone. Okay. Sure. Like Exactly. They were in Pitchfork and they broke up and nothing happened. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it didn't guarantee that they sold a gajillion records. It didn't like, it didn't mean anything. Right. And it's been interesting because lately I've been looking at the sound scan for the bands that get Best New Music on Pitchfork. Yeah. Because 15 years ago or so, it really would sell. I would say getting a Best New Music on Pitchfork would sell about 40,000 records. Yeah. Like people would actually buy it because totally. of that. And now it's completely different because of the streaming economy. You know, people are much more likely to just go stream it if they think they're interested. Yeah. But they're not, you know, it doesn't translate to sales the way it once did. And that's an important piece of the equation as well. It's, in other words, it's great to get a review in Pitchfork, but like what's next? I mean, I feel like bands need to have a plan. They need to know where they want to go and then work to get there, right? And like you say, if their music is not resonating with people, that's not the fault of other people. Yeah. That has to be your fault, right? You have to so, do okay. something different. Okay. So we're working right now with a band called Listener. They're based in Kansas City. Listener has been a band for 14 years. And it's this genre where it's, they like jokingly call it talk music, where it's like sort of like a really like energetic collision of like, of like almost slam style poetry, just like really, really intense, like lightning speed, stream of thought, super guttural, like very emotional. And like something that is sort of like taps its foot into like post hardcore emo kind of stuff, but like rock and roll, you know what I mean? It's this kind of thing where, like, it's not the kind of music that you see on festivals. It's not really the kind of music that there, like, is around. And they've been at it for, you know, for, like I said, 14 years. They sell their own records. They tour the world. And, like, we're working with them because they want press for this record. And they will get press for this record. But their marketing plan is have fans. <laughs> I think that that's something that, like, that's something that they have, like, they've worked for every fan they have. They're making something that's speaks to not everyone, but the people who it does speak to are just like, they found their their music. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And I, I'm so inspired by that. Like, I don't know if I'm making like a super linear point, but like, that's no, a thing that's you can a do. Success, that's a success story, but that shows you how you can have success without having a million fans, without being on the top 40 charts, without being whoever you think that you might want to be. And that's something everyone can do if they make it a priority. Right. You can go out and find your people and make music for your people. Or you can stay at home and think that you're making music for everyone or think you're or just make music for yourself and wait around for someone to come and get you all those fans. Like Right, right. But like you said, that band tours. They yeah. tour the world. They tour the world. So they've made it a priority. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and I'm not saying you can't have a day job and be in a band. You absolutely can. That is the thing you can do. Yeah. But if you choose to go that route, you need to have a plan. 
You need to know why you're doing what you're doing and you need to be satisfied with what you can get. Totally. Because you have to understand you're never going to have the reach that the bands that spend six months a year in a touring van have. Totally. It's simply a different equation. And yeah. that's fine. That's fine. If you, you know, if you only go out on, on tour two weeks of every year because that's all you can manage, that's fantastic. Great. Stay in touch with your people. You know, Stay collect email addresses. Make exactly. sure that you like... Have a newsletter. Yeah. Engage on social media. Release music more often because yeah. you can afford you because you have a job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You can make cool merch that people will like to buy on your tour. Totally. You know, there's all sorts of good stuff you can do. Yeah. I'm just saying have a realistic vision. And I feel like part of the problem with the music industry is that we're like the dream factory, just like the movie industry. You know, people think all you have to do is, you know, be pretty and, and you can get a, you know, start in some movie, you know, it's like maybe someone will notice me as I walk down the street and they'll be like, you, you're the one. Like, OK, thinking about it in the press, music writers tend to be very underpaid. Publications don't have a ton of resources, especially as they get bought up by bigger like corporations and stuff. There's a lot of pressure to generate traffic. There's a lot of pressure for like a lot of different like a lot of different posts. So they're shorter or for stuff that will be very clickable and interesting. You know, like they're trying to stay alive. If there's not a reason why I can easily tell people about this and get people really excited in it, whether it's the music or like the background or the whatever, the like ideology or just you have to be able to easily say this is something I can write about and maybe it'll drive some traffic. You know, being on a record label or any of these steps that you take that you think are going to be like the thing that moves you to the next level, it doesn't necessarily work that way, you know, and you can't, you just can't expect that other people are going to make your career happen. Yeah. You just have to, you have to be prepared in this world that, you know, you may not get the reaction that you want, but hopefully you'll just either keep going and be like, I'm still really, I still really believe in myself and I'm pushing forward and I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. Or maybe you'll be like, you know, maybe my music doesn't really resonate with people. Maybe this isn't, you know, maybe I should do that other career that I was thinking about doing and just play music on the weekends. Totally. You know, and there are some people for whom like press is like, like a, like an avenue that works really, really well. They're easy to write about. They have a really cool story. I don't know why the band Girls is coming to my head from back in the day. Just like, you know, it was like there was just a really good story and everyone just loved it. And it was just that was like a really like that was a smooth path for that band. Everyone picked it up. It was awesome. Or, you know, you could be a band who makes most of your money from licensing or you could be a band who like listener is just like really good at like, you know, winning hearts one person at a time out in dive bars across the country every night for 10 years. Like. You know, you can have an area of strength. You don't have to have it be everything. But yeah, I mean, but all those things are hard. <laughs> all those things are difficult. Maybe in summation, we can say, like, great music rises to the top. Like, first of all, you have to think about, well, what is the top? Mm -hmm. And maybe the top is different for every band, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, so we're not necessarily talking, I get played 12 times an hour on, you know, commercial radio. Yeah, but maybe you're the sickest band in Portland, which is cool. Exactly. Like, Portland has a great scene. Like, I exactly. want to be the sickest band in Portland. What's Right. What's the top? Yeah. You have to, like, figure that out. Yeah. And then also, I just I feel like it's kind of this uncool value judgment. It's like the best music. Listen, you're going to make the, the music that you make, yeah. right? And if it resonates with people, that's awesome. And if it does resonate with people and people are into it and you're doing what you need to do as a band people are going to get on the train. They're going to come on board. They're going to be like, I want to be a part of this. I'm interested in this. And and like even a small section of music fans is still potentially 
a giant group of people. <laughs> right. Totally true. Yeah. And on that note, Sierra Hager, thank you so much for being with us today on The Future of What? Thanks for having me. Big fan. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Summer Cannibals, Wimps, New Dog, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.